Wednesday, June 3rd here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff, and with me as always is Jared Smola, and it feels like we haven't done much of this lately, Jared. That's because we haven't. You and I have only recorded one podcast together for the month of May. I did do a couple of IDP podcasts with some guests, so people can check those out if you play with IDPs, but it's time to get the band back together. It is. I, I know we've been slaving away on projections first. Those are up on the site for everyone. And Profiles Now, which are a big project, you know, really going in depth into, you know, I don't know, 250, 300 players that are fantasy relevant. So that's what we've been spending our time in, time on. Um, you know, that, that's about done. So we will be hitting the, the pod ways more often going forward here. You can find eight prominent players posted as free previews right now. Actually, I posted number nine this morning on DraftSharks.com. So you can check those out. Get a sneak peek into the kind of profiles that are in there for basically every player that you're going to be considering come draft time. All the rest will hit the site very soon. We're coming to the end of that process. We, of course, are already a couple of weeks past releasing our 2020 projections, which power the MVP board. So if you're a DS insider, you can start the prep for your drafting there. Or, you know, if you're drafting right now in best balls, you can get some rankings there and get some help. We also have a month of best ball drafting behind us since the NFL draft. So, Jared, I think it's a good time to stop and take an ADP check. Definitely. Um, you know, as, as soon as our projections hit the site and the MVP board got up and running, I, I joined a few best ball leagues. So I, you know, I've started to get a get a lay of the land and, and start to see guys that, you know, were much higher or much lower on than consensus. Yeah, right after finishing projections is a time where I really like to, to get going with it. When I know who I like significantly more or less than what the public is drafting. We have some overvalued, some undervalued players today. Whether you're filling best ball rosters now or just looking ahead to July, August, September drafting, I think it's certainly worth getting familiar with the landscape now. And once again, that landscape starts with running backs dominating the early part of drafts. We are seeing running backs hold eight of the top nine spots in overall ADP. That's for best ball 10 drafting over the past two weeks. Uh, 10 of the top 12 spots. There are five more running backs in round two. We've got 19 running backs among the top 36 picks. That matches last year. We also had 19 running backs in the top 36 last year. We had 18 among the top 36 in 2018. So Jared, does the current status kind of rekindle the possibility of going zero RB to zig when others are zagging? Or do you feel like you have to take a running back in the first two rounds this year? I think that's the biggest question in fantasy drafts right now. And I've, I've spent probably too much time thinking thinking about this. I'm probably going to write an article about it. Um, it'll probably be my next project after profiles are done. Just looking at, you know, if if people are overvaluing running backs early in fantasy drafts, I, I tend to think they are. Um, you, you just look at, so right now, these are the running backs going in round three of fantasy drafts, you know, based on ADP in the uh, best ball tens. Leonard Fournette. Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, Todd Gurley, Chris Carson. I mean, a couple of those are probably going to pan out, but all, to me, all of those guys carry so much risk, especially when you compare them to the wide receivers going in the same range. Guys like Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen. So to me, that's the big question is, do you sort of force yourself to take those running backs in round three and round four just because you have to get some, or do you pass on them for what I think are, are the much bigger values at wide receiver and then sort of try to figure it out at running back later on. Yeah, and, and I think that the wide receivers that you can find in that range are a reason to maybe lean running back if you're trying to decide between two players in the first two rounds. I also think it matters a lot what format you're playing. I mean, if you're trying to win a big tournament, then I think there's a lot more upside to going very different from whatever everybody else is doing if the what everybody else is doing is, you know, pushing the value of running backs up in the draft where you feel like you're going to be reaching at the position as opposed to just grabbing somebody that you would normally grab there. If you're just playing in a single league or if you're building a bunch of best ball rosters, then I don't think it makes as much sense to go, you know, way off the board and draft completely different because then you're 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 changing what you're going to have to do throughout the season as well. 
Yeah, and I should say that I don't really have much of an issue with where like the top 12 or so running backs are going, and, and those guys tend to go in the first two rounds. So you know, my, my general strategy so far in best balls has been just to, to grab ideally two of those top 12 running backs with my first two picks and then pivot away from running backs. While, while most drafters are still taking those running backs in rounds three, four, five, um, I, I've been loading up on wide receivers more in those rounds. Yeah, and we will get to some running backs that make sense later. I, I think that the round four running backs look okay. Le'Veon Bell, Devin Singletary, James Conner, David Johnson I don't like, but we'll talk about that. DeAndre Swift, Mark Ingram. I mean, Mark Ingram is a little bit in that range, but I think overall that group when you get to round four, you know, if you have one running back at that point, that's a, a decent group from which to pick another player. The group that kind of makes me a little uneasy, and it's not that I hate the players, but – the, the group from 13 to 16 in ADP, Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, I, I think that you can make a case for any of those guys to bust versus expectation. I don't hate any of the individual players, though. That, that's really, that combo makes it such an uneasy range for me, is I don't dislike them enough to pass on them, and yet I don't love them enough to make sure that I get one. Yeah, see, that, that's the group that I'm okay with in, in round two. I think those guys, you know, ha, have some combination of talent. Um, you know, most of them are, are young, um, and it looks like most of them are going to get pretty good volume. So those are the guys I'm okay with. It's, it's again, it's it, those round three guys, Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure, you know, what the Jags' plans are for him yet this season. Melvin Gordon is honestly probably my favorite among these guys. He just seems the safest, you know, sort of, and not, not old yet. Um, it seems like Denver wants him to be the lead guy. But then you have like Jonathan Taylor. We don't know what his role is going to be exactly. I love the player, but we just don't know what the volume is going to be. Todd Gurley, what does he have left in the tank? Chris Carson returning from a serious injury. Um, so again, to me, to me, it's those round three. Then you get into round mm-hmm. four. A lot of those other guys you mentioned, um, Devin Singletary, I'm not taking him in round four. DeAndre Swift, Mark Ingram, th- those are the type of guys I'm I'm passing on for the wide receivers like Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, Robert Woods. You know, We've talked about being a big value. Yeah, if I have taken running backs in the first two rounds, it's very easily been wide receiver or even tight end in rounds three through five for me. If I do get out of the first two rounds with just one running back, also probably going wide receiver in round three and then looking at round four. James Connors really the guy among those uh, that I named in that range. But let's move on to more of the undervalued, overvalued in general beyond this early group and talk about who we like at all positions. But let's stick with running back to begin things. Jared, who's your first undervalued running back in ADP. And I honestly don't have many undervalued running backs just because again, they are going so high in drafts. Um, But the one guy, and I don't want to get in a fight with you again, but I I do like David Johnson at running back 23. I think, I think that ADP has even dropped since the last time we talked, you know, like a month ago. Um, He's going in the late fourth round. Now I think, I think the price tag at least negates some of the risk and there is risk on David Johnson. Like I said, I think there's risk on all these third, fourth, fifth round running backs and that, the risk with David Johnson is just what does he have left in the tank? He obviously looked bad for most of last season, but as we talked about on that uh, on the last podcast after our projections were released, he was dealing with back and ankle injuries. He was actually decent over the first five games of last season, 4.1 yards per carry, 10.3 yards per catch. And I, I just think Houston wants him to be a pretty – you know, high volume running back. We'll see if, if he can do that. Um, but I think he's going to get every opportunity to be a guy who, you know, sees 15 to 20 touches per game. So he's a guy, um, especially if I didn't get two running backs in the first two rounds, David Johnson, someone I'll definitely consider in round four. I'll give you round four and an RB 23 ADP being okay for him and making him less ugly than I think he would otherwise be. But on the other hand, I don't think that there's generally a good reason to to bet on a bounce back from a guy who's older for running back. And I mean, Houston can want him to be their, their lead ball carrier and maybe even a workhorse. I just don't see him being that. I think he's a worse runner than Carlos Hyde. And I think that that, that is the main reason that I like Duke Johnston at his RB49 ADP. I don't know if it's late enough to call him undervalued, but... You know, if I really dislike David Johnson as much as I do heading into this season, I have to be in on Duke Johnson at the RB49 level. I think that there is a very good chance that Duke Johnson is the most talented running back on the Houston roster this year. And I think the big difference between Carlos Hyde and David Johnson for those purposes might be that Carlos Hyde is a better runner than David Johnson at this point. So if David Johnson lets them down, 
as a rusher or gets hurt. I mean, coming off back issues, you mentioned the ankle. If he gets hurt this season and gives a chance for Duke Johnson to get more work, I think there's a chance that Houston's like, well, maybe we just got this one wrong and we need to keep giving more work to Duke Johnson. I'm going to lose lose my head if, if Duke Johnson actually, you know, <laughs> takes over this backfield this season because I was all over him last year. I, I, I thought Duke Johnson was the most talented guy in that backfield last year. I think he's the most talented guy in, in the backfield this year. I'm, I I don't disagree with you there. I, I just, I don't think the Texans believe that. And, you know, Houston invested a lot more in David Johnson than they did in Carlos Hyde. So I, I just, I, I think they're going to kind of stubbornly stick to David Johnson as their lead guy, barring an injury this season. Yeah. I just think barring an injury is rough for him. And uh, at this point, watching what Houston has done lately, I'm more comfortable betting on what I think than what Bill O'Brien did. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I, again, I don't disagree with you there. But you know, they they did not give Duke Johnson much action last year with Carlos right. Hyde in front of him, and you know, Hyde they acquired for basically nothing, and they you know sent quite a bit to Arizona for David Johnson this offseason. Yeah, I don't think that Duke Johnson is going to open the season as a worthwhile fantasy back, but I I do think that there's eventual upside to him. It's nice that he's way back down the board, so you can just stash him as like an RB five and to see what happens with David Johnson as we get through preseason and early in the regular season. Who else do you have undervalued at running back? So let, let's talk about the 49ers backfield, because I have both of their top two guys listed here. I have Raheem Mostert as overvalued. He is running back 27 right now, going in the fifth round of fantasy drafts. And again, I, you know, here's where the running back's going so high matters. You know, running back 27 doesn't seem crazy for Raheem Mostert. I think it's only a few spots you know, off where we have him ranked. But the fifth round, that, that's where I have an issue, taking Raheem Mostert in the fifth round. Yes, Raheem Mostert finished last season with big numbers. He averaged 89 rushing yards, 1.4 rushing touchdowns over the final eight games of last season. First of all, I don't think he's going to repeat that 6.1 yards per carry or the massive touchdown rate he had over that that span. He did average 14.5 carries per game over those eight games. It was inflated a bit by 29 carries in the NFC Championship game. But you know, even if he's getting 15 carries per game, again, I think he's not going to be as efficient. He also got just 1.5 targets per game over that span. So you know, he's not going to do a whole lot in the passing game. But I'm just I'm not convinced that this backfield is going to look like it did over those final eight games. You know, Raheem Oster, he he's 28 years old. He's a career journeyman. He's, he's bounced around to five different teams, had just 40 career carries before last season. Then you have Tevin Coleman, who, yeah, he wasn't great last year. Raheem Oster outperformed him by basically any metric, but the 49ers handed him a two-year, $8.5 million contract last offseason. He's kind of one of Kyle Shanahan's guys. Coleman played under Shanahan in Atlanta for two seasons. So, you know, when Tevin Coleman is going at running back 43, I'm much more willing to take a shot on him in round nine or 10 than I am Raheem Mostert in the fifth round. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with taking shots on Tevin Coleman. I think that format matters a lot for this particular backfield because once we get to the point where most drafting is for lineup setting leagues, the 49ers backfield is probably going to be one that I don't really want unless I'm taking a late yeah. shot because I think it's going to be unpredictable week to week. I don't think it's going to be Raheem Mostert or Tevin Coleman. I think it's going to be both those guys. And, you know, we'll see differences in carries week to week, just like we saw at the end of last season, especially, you know, if one guy gets hurt here or there. Where I do like them, though, is if we do get through the first four rounds with, you know, one or zero running backs on our roster, then I would very much like to pair Raheem Mostert in round five with Tevin Coleman around ahead of ADP. And if I can put them together on a best ball roster, I think I'm going to wind up getting maybe RB10 or so value from the pair of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I fully expect this 49ers running game to, again, be be one of the, the better running games in the league. Um, I don't know, just just spending a fifth-round pick on Raheem Moser just, just feels dirty to me. But, yeah, I, I do agree. If, if I somehow do leave the first four rounds of my draft with you know zero or even one running back, Pairing Mostert with Coleman, um, you know, for, you know, say a fifth and a tenth round pick, you know, that that, that seems like a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's important to look at it more as stacking than as a handcuff because you're not drafting yeah. Tevin Coleman where you draft him to be a handcuff to Mostert. It's about combining their value. And, you know, again, right. better than a best ball type setup where we don't have to decide who to start each week. Yep, exactly. For my undervalued guy, I, for my other one, I'm sure that you could probably guess it, but it's James White at running back 36. And I just think there's a chance that James White 
emerges or reemerges this year as the best friend of the new quarterback situation in New England. He is the team's best receiving running back. He is a solid pass blocker. He is a good enough runner. Like they don't have anybody in the backfield where it's like this guy is so good with the ball that we've got to run him a lot. Any of their backs could, you know, split carries in any direction this year. James White has already produced seventh and seventh and nineteenth among PPR backs in fantasy points over the past two years. 38th, 26th, 40th before that. So, I mean, his floor is in the range where he's being drafted right now. And the 40th was way back when he only caught 40 balls. Over the past four years, he's averaged four and a half receptions per game. Last year, he hit 11 plus fantasy points in 13 of his 17 games, including the playoffs. Only seven running backs in the league had more games of 11 plus PPR points in 2019. James White doesn't give you the ultimate ceiling that other running backs do, but you know, we're talking about RB three range of drafting and he's more of a floor pick. Again, if you get to, you know, round seven, round eight of your draft, I'll take somebody who's going to give me a steady point drip. And then maybe later I can take, you know, more of a handcuff or stacking type that has a lower floor to begin with, but a higher ultimate ceiling. Yeah, no issue with James White at running back 36. I can't say I'm excited to draft him there, but he is a decent guy if you're you know looking for a third running back at that point of drafts. Um, a decent guy to give you a floor based on the pass catching stuff. I, I, I just don't know what to expect from this Patriots offense this season, you know, without Tom Brady for the first time in, you know, 15 years or whatever it is. Hopefully we'll get training camp and preseason to start to get an idea for that. You know, my concern with White would be if I'm Bill Belichick looking at my roster, I think I want to go run heavy, try to control clock, sort of lean on my defense to win football games this season. Um, and if that is the case, it, it would hurt James White. Possibly, but I also think James White is the one guy in that backfield that you can put in and the defense doesn't know what he's doing. Sony Michelle, when he's been on the field, they're running. He's he, They don't yeah. throw the ball when he's on the field. So I, I think maybe to protect the new quarterback – one of the ways to do that is to not telegraph to the defense what exactly is coming. Yeah, that that's definitely true. My concern would be that White has just never been an efficient ball carrier. Uh, 4.1 yards per carry for his career, 3.9 yards per carry last season. So if if the Patriots do want to run the ball, I, I do think Sony Michelle is still their best option. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to be a committee. Everybody is going to be on the field. But uh, I think James White has displayed upside beyond where he's being drafted. One other guy I want to mention and I wouldn't necessarily call him undervalued, but I think that it's a player that's good a good focal point for zero RB or a stacking option. It's Zach Moss. Uh, I think he's being drafted at a fair range, but I think if you do draft Devin Singletary around round four where he is going, I would really try to stack Moss with him there. And I call it a stack rather than a handcuff because I think that there's room for both of them to produce simultaneously. I think Devin Singletary is likely to lead the receiving in that backfield, but Zach Moss is much more likely to get the goal line work over him. There is the handcuff upside. I think there's also the chance, uh, you know, I'm not betting on it, but I think there's a chance that Zach Moss just outscores Devin Singletary in fantasy, even if both stay healthy. Yeah, if I'm going to draft the Bills running back, it's much more likely to be Zach Moss. I actually have Devin Singletary here as one of my overvalued running backs again. RB 21 and ADP, which is not far off from where we have him ranked, but he's going in the early fourth round. He's going ahead of Adam Thielen, Calvin Ridley, Robert Woods. I'm definitely taking those wide receivers ahead of Devin Singletary. Like you mentioned, it's going to be a committee here. I think, you know, Singletary opened his rookie season in a committee with Frank Gore. Frank Frank Gore sort of ran out of gas, I think, and, and Singletary took on a heavier workload during the second half of last season. But I think Buffalo drafting Zach Moss sort of tells us that they want this to remain a committee. And yeah, Singletary just, he has very little touchdown upside with Zach Moss there now. And with Josh Allen stealing all those goal line carries. Um, Devin Singletary had just three carries inside the 10 yard line all last season, just two carries inside the five. So it's tough to bank on much touchdown production from him. I agree. I've not been particularly interested in drafting Singletary so far. I do think that uh, if you do draft him, it might be worth reaching a little bit for Zach Moss. And I think that Zach Moss is the more attractive guy at their respective prices. My first overvalued guy is somebody that you already mentioned in the group that you don't like in round three, and it's Chris Carson. Uh, I think a healthy Chris Carson can certainly pay off as the 19th running back off the board. But I also think it's way too early in the year right now to trust that we have a healthy Chris Carson that he's ready to pay off at that level. It's also worth mentioning that 
what we've seen of a healthy Chris Carson so far was RB12 in PPR points per game last season, RB16 in PPR points per game in 2018. So it's not even like we're drafting somebody who has been a top six or eight running back. We're drafting somebody who scores in that range even when he's healthy. I can't personally imagine taking Chris Carson right now ahead of James Conner, who has already displayed a higher PPR ceiling. And I mean, for another comparison, I don't even like Le'Veon Bell, but the receiving for Le'Veon Bell sets a higher floor in PPR than Chris Carson presents. So I I have a tough time taking Chris Carson over Le'Veon Bell at this point. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, the, the Carlos Hyde signing by Seattle sort of spooked me off Chris Carson a bit too. And the Hyde signing might have more to do with Rashad Penny who isn't expected to be ready for the start of the season after his torn ACL last season. But it's just, it's another guy who if Carson goes down or if Carson, you know, struggles with fumbles again, which was an issue last season, there's, there's, there's quite a few paths for Chris Carson disappointing at that third round ADP. Yeah. It's just not even close for me. Who else do you have an overvalued? Unfortunately, Nick Chubb, um, I'm still staying away from him. He's at running back eight right now in ADP He's going 10th overall. Um, he, he, he's not a first round pick for me if he gets to the you know mid-second I'll start to consider him and it's just because of Kareem Hunt I love Nick Chubb as a player I love the offense he's in now under Kevin Stefanski who was in Minnesota last year and you know got the big season out of Delvin Cook but just the threat of Kareem Hunt who I think is you know one of the 10 most talented running backs in the NFL Um, and we saw it over the second half of last season Kareem Hunt really started to cut into Chubb's volume especially in the passing game Nick Chubb scored as just the PPR running back 14 over the second half of last season. I, I think that's closer to where he should be being drafted right now, rather than where he is at running back eight. I absolutely agree that there is a bust path for Nick Chubb. He's also just so good that I don't want to be out on him completely. Even if I have to go at the the one, two turn, I'm going to get a couple shares just, you know, just in case we get Derrick Henry season last year from Nick Chubb, which I think is absolutely within the range of possibilities. Yeah, and if you do enough drafts, you know you'll you'll see Chubb get into the early second round, and, and I agree, it, it'd probably be smart to get some Nick Chubb uh, exposure, which I, I should probably do now that I say it. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things. If you're drafting one team, then sure, there's bust potential to Nick Chubb. If you're drafting, you know, ten plus whatever volume you play, I'll, I want to make sure that one of those has Nick Chubb, just in case we get something special from him. Yep, that's fair. Mark Ingram is my other overvalued, and at RB25, it would be a fine price. It would probably even be a value spot if Baltimore didn't draft J.K. Dobbins. And I mean, Mark Ingram had a very good season last year. He's in the right spot for running back value. He absolutely could remain at that RB25 level and help fantasy teams. I just don't think that he finishes this season as Baltimore's top fantasy back. So I'm not taking him where I'd have to take him. I think if you take Mark Ingram, you you do it planning to take J.K. Dobbins a round or two later and just say, you know, I'm going to lock up these, you know, 350 Ravens running back carries and, you know, hopefully it's going to pay off for me at those price tags. Um, it's a little pricey to do that. That's that's my issue. Um, you know, if Ingram and Dobbins were going in the eighth and ninth round, I think it would make a lot more sense. Yeah, that's it's similar to the Niners backfield, I think, where you have to pay a little bit more, but you know, if you took something else through the first three rounds, if you have zero running backs, then you could take Ingram in four, J.K. Dobbins in five, and keep building out your running backs from there. I'm probably not doing that, and it, it's uh, once we get into lineup setting leagues, I don't think that that's a very good strategy, but I, I can certainly see uh, doing that at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. On to quarterback, Jared. Who do you have at undervalued? I'm going to start with Dak Prescott, who he's quarterback four, which, you know, we have him ranked third, but it's only one spot off there, but he's going in the early seventh round. More and more people are on the wait on a quarterback bandwagon now. So these guys are dropping further and further. And if you look at, you know, the seventh round, I just don't think the opportunity cost is that high to take Dak Prescott. You're passing on running backs like Keyshawn Vaughn, Darius Geis, Carrion Johnson, you know, guys with, with volume concerns, injury concerns, passing on wide receivers like Julian Edelman. I'm not interested in him too much, but Jarrett Stidham under center. Deontay Johnson is up into the seventh round now. I think, I think he's become overpriced. Um, Christian Kirk is there just, you know, nothing that really excites me at the other position. So I'll go and take Dak Prescott who finished quarterback two last season. Now we add CD lamb to Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup at wide receiver. I think Blake Jarvin's going to prove to be an upgrade at tight end over Jason Witten. So 
to me, outside of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott has as much upside as any quarterback. And in the seventh round, I think, um, you know, getting getting the advantage of that position is worth a seventh round pick. I agree. I mean, he's the best reason to not draft Kyler Murray this year. I mean, Dak Prescott finished as QB two last year without a high touchdown rate. He had, he had just a 5% passing touchdown rate, which is not high. It's definitely nowhere near where Lamar Jackson was last year. So now that we have these extra pieces in an offense that has been leaning past more, you know, if we do get one of those freakish high touchdown rate seasons from Dak Prescott at some point soon, I don't think it would be shocking and it could propel him all the way to number one at the position. So to get him in round seven, you know, QB four doesn't sound like a crazy low price, but as you said, in round seven, it, it's certainly solid value con- considering the upside on him and absolutely the primary reason where I'm not going to be taking Kyler Murray in drafts. Yep, exactly. On the undervalued side, I, I can't say that I was really appalled by anyone's price I think it's more about you can see the reasons to wait you know besides Dak Prescott being in round seven but even much later I mean you could wait until round 12 in current best ball tens drafting and still have your pick of Ryan Tannehill Joe Burrow Kirk Cousins Jimmy Garoppolo Gardner Minshew those aren't exciting players but they are all guys who have displayed top 12 week-to-week scoring ability. So I think that overall the position is pretty fairly priced, and yet even with everybody waiting and waiting, it still can pay off to wait and get some of those guys. Yep, I'm with you. I didn't I didn't see anyone that really stood out. I will say if I don't end up with Dak Prescott in you know, the 7th or 8th round, my, my next two targets are Carson Wentz and Tom Brady. Carson Wentz is quarterback 9 in ADP right now, but he's going in the early 10th round. You basically hit, you have a big clump of quarterbacks you know and Wentz is sort of the start of it um 11 quarterbacks come off the board within the next three rounds of Carson Wentz based on ADP so so if you get in these best ball drafts there's gonna be quarterback runs you know in the 10th 11th 12th round so I I like getting ahead of those and you know sort of getting my guy and and Carson Wentz and Tom Brady are my guys you know Carson Wentz he's going quarterback nine he finished quarterback eight last year and that was you know if you remember throwing to guys like Greg Ward Robert Davis, Deontay Burnett, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside over the final few games of the season. Um, Wentz finished third and 12th among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game the previous two years. So, you know, he's been a quarterback one the past three years now. It's just it's been injuries to Wentz and injuries to his pass catchers that have sort of stunted his his, his upside a little bit. But the Eagles get Deshaun Jackson back this season, added Jalen Rager in the first round of the draft. They still have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. You know, I think the backfield – could do even more in the passing game this season with Jordan Howard gone and, you know, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott both being strong pass catching back. So I like Carson Wentz and then Tom Brady. I mean, the argument for Brady to me is just that maybe he's obviously not prime Brady anymore. We'll see if he's, you know, totally out of gas, but Jameis Winston just threw for 5,100 yards and 33 touchdowns on this Bucks team. So if, if Brady can, you know, just be as good as Jameis Winston, who, you know, doesn't even have a starting job right now, um, you know, I, th- I think he can put up big passing passing numbers with these weapons. And frankly, if Bruce Arians says that a quarterback's not out of gas, I'm going to go ahead and go with what Bruce Arians says about him. Sure. And you have, you know, you have Rob Gronkowski added to this mix, who Jameis Winston didn't have last year. Gronk, obviously a question mark, but, you know, Brady went out of his way to get Gronk to Tampa. Yeah. And I mean, I think really all you have to say is Tom Brady... Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. There's <laughs> exactly. even if he's not that good anymore, he has plenty of chance to be a top eight fantasy quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And and Brady, quarterback twelve and ADP going in the early eleventh round of, of basketball address. I think way on the other end, a couple of guys who I can understand being hesitant to draft right now at quarterback, but who I think could wind up looking extremely undervalued are Ryan Fitzpatrick and Justin Herbert. I think The risk with Fitzpatrick is obviously that Tua proves ready to start for the Dolphins from the beginning. I think that's a big risk at this point, but you're also drafting Ryan Fitzpatrick as a low, low third quarterback on a best ball roster right now. So there's really nothing but upside to him. Uh, We'll see about Tua's readiness. With Justin Herbert, I think if you know, the public is betting on Tua being the starting quarterback in Miami, and that's what ADP says because he's ahead of Fitzpatrick right now. I can't imagine why the public wouldn't bet at least as much on Justin Herbert 
being the starter for the Chargers. He doesn't have the hip injury as a question. He spent a lot more time starting in college, and he has Tyrod Taylor to compete with as opposed to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a very good runner, but he has a whole lot less starting experience behind him uh, and less success behind him than Ryan Fitzpatrick does. So I think Justin Herbert's path to starting right away is much clearer even than Tua's. And if Herbert is in the lineup, he has more rushing upside, I think, than Tua. And he has better weapons around him with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler. I think Justin Herbert, if he's a starter from the beginning of the season, there's upside on him into the top 12. Yeah, J- Justin Herbert is my is one of my favorite quarterback three targets in basketball drafts. It, it's extremely rare for a top 10 rookie quarterback to not start double digit games. So, you know, the Chargers can say what they want about Tyrod Taylor, but I, I do expect Herbert to start 10 plus games this season. Like you said, he has the rushing upside. The Chargers GM called Justin Herbert a dual threat quarterback shortly after drafting him. And he has those weapons you mentioned. So I, I do think Herbert at minimum is going to give us some spiked weeks, which is what we're looking for in, in best ball. I mean, imagine coming out of a draft with Joe Burrow, Gardner Minshew, and Justin Herbert as your quarterbacks. And people are going to be like, oh, you didn't feel like drafting quarterback, huh? (laughs) You could get big numbers from that trio. I don't think I'd want any as my quarterback one in a lineup setting league. But in best ball, I think that'd be a a great trio and it's super cheap. And I think, you know, all three of those guys can give you the rushing upside. And I think you'd be just fine with those three guys as your three best ball quarterbacks. On the overvalued side, I already talked about Kyler Murray in the Dak Prescott spot, mm-hmm. and we've talked about him plenty other times. So who else do you have at overvalued? Yeah, the only guy that really stood out to me is Ben Roethlisberger. And it, it's it's just because we don't know what kind of shape his elbow is in. All the reports have been positive that the rehab has gone well. But you know, we're, you know, we're talking about a, what, a 37, 38-year-old quarterback coming off serious surgery on his throwing elbow. So to me, Roethlisberger going quarterback 17 in the 12th round, I'm just going to pass on him at that price for now until we see that he's, you know, at least something close to 100%. I agree with that. And that's the same reason that I'm not in on Juju or Deontay Johnson right now, because we don't know about Ben Roethlisberger. He's definitely not the kind of guy who inspires confidence in you in his, you know, physical readiness, just trusting that he's doing what he needs to be ready. And we saw that in Pittsburgh, if the quarterback goes down, things are just going to fall apart. That offense is going to be awful if Ben Roethlisberger is not ready to go, you know, unless they sign Cam Newton at some point. Yep. Agreed. I won't be taking Aaron Rodgers or Daniel Jones at their respective prices. I don't think that they're going early enough to really be overvalued, but just the guys that are available around them have me not buying Aaron Rodgers or Daniel Jones at their prices. Drew Brees right ahead of Aaron Rodgers, you know, close enough that they're going the same range. You already mentioned Tom Brady. He's behind Aaron Rodgers in ADP. Matthew Stafford's a whole round later. And Daniel Jones is about two rounds ahead of Ryan Tannehill, two plus ahead of Joe Burrow. So at this point, I just don't have a reason to reach for Jones when I can get either of those guys a little bit later. Yeah, that's fair. I would say I think that the spot you want to target Daniel Jones is in best ball. I think we saw saw last year how volatile his weekly production was. So I think he's going to be tougher to trust in lineup setting leagues. But yeah, I don't have a strong take on Jones or Rodgers. They're they're guys, you know, beyond Brady. If I do get to the, you know, 11th round and I'm still looking for my quarterback one, I I don't have an issue with Rodgers or Daniel Jones there. Um, But I definitely prefer Brady. And, you know, Joe Burrow is probably a better value than than, uh, Jones and Rodgers going a couple rounds later. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Wide receiver, who's your top undervalued guy? All right, I got all basically any wide receiver going in, in the third or, or fourth round of drafts right now. And again, this goes back to folks, I think, reaching for running backs at those spots rather than taking Amari Cooper, who's going in the late third round as wide receiver 11, Allen Robinson going right behind Amari Cooper as wide receiver 12, Adam Thielen as wide receiver 16 in the middle of the fourth round, Calvin Ridley's going in the middle of the fourth round, Robert Woods going in the late fourth round. I'm likely getting two of those guys with with my third and and fourth round picks. You know, we talked about Robert Woods a lot on the podcast immediately after projections were released. I still think he's the best value at wide receiver in drafts right now. I want to talk about Adam Thielen a little bit though. To to me, it's probably right behind Robert Woods is the second best value, especially in this range. Again, Thielen going wide receiver 16, middle of the fourth round. Hamstring injury obviously wrecked his 2019 season, but he didn't miss a single game across his first five 
NFL season. So I don't think he's an injury risk. You know, he, he's 30 years old, so he's not, you know, over the hill yet. Um, he was sitting ninth among wide receivers in PPR points in his six healthy games last season. So he was already producing last year before the hamstring injury. Thielen finished seventh among wide receivers in PPR points in 2018. He was wide receiver eight in 2017. So, you know, the guy's been a top 10 wide receiver for the last three seasons now when he's been healthy. Stephon Diggs gone from Minnesota now. Well, you know, they the, they added Justin Jefferson in the first round. I think the worst case scenario for, for Adam Thielen is Justin Jefferson just stepping into Stephon Diggs' role. And, you know, Adam Thielen can still see the same type of volume he's seen over the past three seasons. If Jefferson's not ready for that type of role, we could see Thielen's target share grow even, even, even bigger. So I think I think he's a pretty safe bet for you know top twelve production this season. And again, he can be had in the fourth round of fantasy drafts. Yeah, because I think that the assumption we have to make at this point is that Justin Jefferson is not going to match Stephon Diggs right away, either in role or production. So I certainly totally agree with the Thielen case. I'm going to start with an even easier one, I think, and it's Tyler Boyd. Why was he over 33? It's just nonsense. I mean, there are some where you're like, yeah, I can understand why people aren't excited about him, or I understand why people are pushing him up this high. This one makes absolutely no sense. 17th and 15th in PPR scoring the past two years, 12th among all players in receptions over the past two years across positions. Seventh in targets last year, tied for 11th in receptions in the league. In 2018, which is the last time he had A.J. Green around, there was no difference in target share or yards per target for Boyd with and without A.J. Green. So Green's return, I don't believe, hurts Tyler Boyd. I'm not worried about John Ross or T. Higgins significantly impacting Tyler Boyd's role here. And at quarterback, I mean, do we know for sure yet that Joe Burrow is an upgrade over Andy Dalton? No. We'll see. Is he probably an upgrade over Andy Dalton? Yeah, I'm going to go with probably. So uh, Tyler Boyd should just be, he should be going no later than wide receiver 20 in pretty much any draft. Yep. I, I think Boyd has joined Jarvis Landry as like the perennial undervalued wide receivers that, that we can get in the you know sixth, seventh, eighth round of fantasy drafts. I, I've drafted a ton of both those guys. I think I've drafted even more Boyd than Jarvis Landry. Um, you mentioned the stuff with AJ Green. I mean, AJ Green's return is not a concern for Tyler Boyd to me. Boyd averaged more targets, catches, yards, and touchdowns per game with AJ Green than without him back in 2018. Who's next on your undervalued wide receivers? Yeah, I think another guy we both agree on, Deshaun Jackson. I'm just I'm scooping up all the Deshaun Jackson right now. Um, he's wide receiver 59 in best ball drafts going in the 13th round. And there's obviously risk with Deshaun Jackson. He's 33 years old. He, you know, basically played just one game last season. He's, you know, played very few full 16 game seasons in his career. So you're not expecting him to play 16 games, but again, he's wide receiver 59 in the 13th round, especially in best ball drafts. I think Jackson's going to give us some, some ceiling, outings this season we saw last year in that one full game in week one against Washington he went for 154 yards and two touchdowns so you know based on that he he, you know still has plenty to give Philly you go back to 2018 Jackson averaged 18.9 yards per catch that year with the Bucks he ranked 19th in PFF's receiving grades he was ninth in yards per route run among 79 wide receivers with 50 plus targets so I mean he's he's another year older but Everything we've seen the past couple of years is there. There's, you know, still plenty of gas left in this tank, and and really there, there's a path for Deshaun Jackson to lead Eagles wide receivers in targets. He might be the favorite right now to lead Eagles wide receivers in targets. Elshon Jeffrey sounds like he's not going to be ready for the start of the season after that Liz Frank injury in December. Jalen Rager, the first round rookie, I like him long term. I'm not sure he's ready to be a lead receiver right now. So the, the way this wide receiver core looks at, at the moment, I think Deshaun Jackson would be my bet to lead the group in targets this year. I agree. I think he's the favorite to lead that position in targets. And I think he's more than just undervalued. I think he could wind up being one of the biggest difference makers in all of fantasy because Deshaun Jackson is going at a level now where there's no risk. I mean, wide receiver 59, if that guy doesn't do anything for you, that means nothing. It doesn't hurt you at all. You're talking about like a ninth or 10th round receiver, even if you take him ahead of ADP. So there's no reason not to draft Deshaun Jackson. And you just said all the reasons to draft him. He's in a great spot. He showed in his one game last year, but also right before that, that he still has the skills. He's still the speed guy. Philly's been looking for that speed guy to play opposite Alshon Jeffrey for several years. 
and not been able to find the answer. Deshaun Jackson is the answer whenever he's healthy. You know, is he an injury risk? Yes. Is he likely to miss a game or two? Yes. Is he likely to miss 15 like he did last year? Absolutely not. So I will take whatever games I get from Deshaun Jackson this season. Yeah, and his injury last year was a core muscle injury, and he tried to battle through it, and that that seems to never go well for guys. Then Jackson eventually decided to just have the surgery. Once guys have those sports hernia surgeries, it doesn't tend to be an injury that lingers. So, you know, that specific injury to me is zero concern heading into 2020. I think T.Y. Hilton, who's a case I've made before, is undervalued at wide receiver 28. I think that's his floor versus previous performance. So there's really little downside to drafting him at this point. Phillip Rivers, you know, even if you think he's declining, he is a passing upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. I mean, just look at the number of Colts who had their worst receiving season with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. I think it's pretty easy to see the upside there. There are pockets of excitement for Paris Campbell, for Naheem Hines, for other guys. There doesn't seem to be nearly as much for T.Y. Hilton, who is still easily the wide receiver one, even if he has lost a step in Indy. So I think he's an easy guy to like at the spot where he's going in drafts. And I want to also throw out Mike Williams. We were talking about, you know, the weekly upside of Deshaun Jackson and also talking about the upside of Justin Herbert. I think when you combine where Mike Williams is going to wide receiver 47 and where Justin Herbert's going way late, where you can just stash him as a quarterback three and get that quarterback wide receiver stack. I think when you combine that, there's a chance for that duo to be a difference making combination for fantasy this year. Yeah. And I know you posted your Mike Williams profile on the site for free. So anyone can go check that out. I I definitely am a bit more interested in him after reading that article, especially at that wide receiver um, 47 price. Like I know Williams, what he only scored, I think it was two touchdowns last year. Um, Just a a insanely low touchdown rate for a guy who was a a big time touchdown scorer in college and um, back in 2018. So I think he's at minimum in for some positive touchdown regression this year. Yeah, and he remained their top end zone target, even with Hunter Henry back last year, but only scored, I believe, once on his, I think it was 12 end zone targets. That's in the article because I liked Mike Williams better after writing it than I thought I was going to going in. But I I think he's got quarterbacks who are built more than Phillip Rivers at this point to go deep. And there's the touchdown upside in just some natural positive regression in his end zone numbers. Anyone else for you in the undervalued wide receiver category? Nope, I'm ready to talk overvalued. I got to talk Tyrell Williams before we get out of this category, though, because he's a wide receiver 70. And (laughs) even beyond Deshaun Jackson, there's no risk. I can draft Tyrell Williams, and if he stinks, if he's not a starter at some point, I've lost nothing. But this is still a guy who ranks sixth among wideouts in yards per target since the start of 2016. He has scored on more than 10% of his catches in three of the past four years that included last year. It's well within the range of possible outcomes. I believe that he is Vegas's top producing wideout this year. You know, if I'm betting between him and Henry Ruggs right now, I would bet on Henry Ruggs getting more opportunities, but we're also talking about a rookie who was not the number one or even number two wide receiver on his own college team last year. So I think it's definitely within the range of possibilities that Tyrell Williams outperforms him this season. And Tyrell Williams was awesome last year before he suffered that foot injury. And that just lingered the rest of the year, I think, and really hurt him. Like you said, the Raiders added a first-round wide receiver. They added a third-round wide receiver in Brian Edwards. So, you know, th- there is a chance that Tyrell sinks down the depth chart this year. But at wide receiver 70, I mean, that risk is more than priced in. And there definitely is still a chance that Williams is the top wide receiver on that team. So I, I think he's definitely worth a shot at that price. And Brian Edwards would worry me more if he didn't suffer a Jones fracture in one of his mm-hmm. feet this offseason. So I think that only extends the the possibility that Brian Edwards gets a, a slow start and does not take over Tyrell Williams' starting spot. And by the way, Tyrell Williams is making about $10 million a year in average mm-hmm. salary. So it's not like he's Zay Jones on that roster. They invested in him just a year ago. Yep. Yeah, good point. Overvalued, Jared, who you got? I'm going to start with Kenny Galladay, who's wide receiver seven in ADP. I look at, you know, everyone's rankings. They all have him in the top 10. And and I guess I get it because if you just look at last year, Galladay finished ninth among wide receivers in PPR points. And that was with Matt Stafford missing the final eight games. So you say, you know, this guy finished wide receiver nine. I was going to get Stafford back. You know, yeah, he he should be a top 10 wide receiver. But Galladay still averaged 18.3 yards per catch and scored on 17% of his receptions last season, despite you know playing without Stafford for eight games. And you could say, you know, yeah, that's super impressive that this guy did that, catching balls from backup quarterbacks, but I still think Galladay's in for some regression. You, you look at 
his first two seasons, 15.7 yards per catch. So, you know, almost three yards per catch less than what he did last year. 8.2% touchdown rate. So his touchdown rate was basically doubled last year. So I think both those efficiency metrics are coming down. You look at Galladay's volume last season, he was just 21st among wide receivers and targets on the season. He was 18th among wide receivers in those first eight games with Matt Stafford. So, you know, he was seeing more wide receiver two level volume. I expect similar volume this season with Marvin Jones back, Danny Amendola's back, TJ Hawkinson, I think is going to be ready for a bigger role in his second season. The Lions added DeAndre Swift, who's a solid pass catcher out of the backfield. So I don't think Galladay's target share is going to grow. So unless you expect him to repeat that efficiency stuff, 18.3 yards per catch, the 17% touchdown rate, I think he's a weak bet to pay off that wide receiver seven price tag. He's my first guy too. 20.3% target share last year, ranked just 19th at the position. Even if you just look at the Stafford portion, 21.3%, that would have ranked 15th at the position for the season. And I mean, his current ADP ranking matches where he produced fantasy-wise during Stafford games last year. But that's also ignoring that Matthew Stafford was putting up career highs in yards per attempt and touchdown rate over that stretch. Now, Matthew Stafford, if we're going from what he did last year, we should expect him to stay good. I don't think we should expect him to continue career high rates in those categories. So basically, I think if you're drafting Kenny Galladay at ADP, you're expecting him and Matthew Stafford to stay at these above average rates across the board. And that's crazy. I think that Kenny Galladay and Robert Woods, it's like people put them under a cup and they started out looking at Robert Woods and then you switch the cups all around <laughs> and people think it's going to be Robert Woods under there and it's Kenny Galladay and they don't realize that it's something different. Yeah, I, mean, I just, I haven't come close to drafting Kenny Galladay. You know, again, he's going in the early third round. He, he'd have to drop into the fifth round for me to consider him because I am taking Robert Woods ahead of Kenny Galladay who regularly goes in the fifth round. You know, Adam Thielen to me, easy call over Kenny Galladay. He's available in the fourth. So um, Galladay is just kind of a, a, a do not draft guy for me. Yeah, me too at, at, at cost so far. DK Metcalf's the next guy I want to bring out. And I, I don't know, I, I struggled a little bit in picking him because I, I certainly see the upside and he had a nice rookie season. But why are there so many people that just assume that he's going to be better than Tyler Lockett this year? And, and people say it like it's a hot take at this point, but it's not because his ADP is now ahead of Tyler Lockett. And it's it's crazy. Tyler Lockett is simply an underrated player. He's more polished than DK Metcalf at everything. And if you look at the two players, you think, well, but DK Metcalf's a downfield guy and Tyler Lockett's a short range guy. Last year's average depth of target, DK Metcalf was at 13.7. Tyler Lockett was at 13.4. So that's basically even. The year before, Tyler Lockett was at 14 and a half. So he is not a short range guy. He's an every range guy. He saw a higher percentage of his targets come in the red zone last year. Metcalf did beat Lockett in end zone targets, but they tied in touchdowns. I mean, Lockett gets his opportunities everywhere. He's a more efficient player. He has been with Russell Wilson longer. I think betting on DK Metcalf over Tyler Lockett is going to be something that people significantly regret at the end of the season. Yeah, DK Metcalf is like the Nick Chubb at wide receiver for me where I, I love the player, even love the situation. But, you know, just with a guy like Tyler Lockett still there, especially considering, like you said, Lockett going later in fantasy drafts, I'm, I'm mostly out on DK Metcalf at cost right now. Although I will say it seems to me like all the all those wide receivers in that range, they sort of get jumbled in every draft. You know, I've seen Metcalf drop into the, the sixth round of, of some of these drafts. And I think at that price, um, assuming Tyler Lockett's off the board, that Metcalf definitely makes some sense. Yeah, and I agree with that. DK Metcalf is not, for me, a player that I'm just avoiding wherever he goes. If he goes, you know, two rounds past ADP, then absolutely, I'll I'll take a shot at him there. Because, you know, is there a possibility that he outscores Lockett? Sure. But do I think that should be the -the across-the-board bet? Not even close. Yeah, probably another case, too, where you could consider taking both those guys. Thinking back to the playoffs, at least last year, you know, we saw DK Metcalf have the huge game in the first round against uh, the Eagles, and then Tyler Lockett went off against the Packers. I think we could see a lot of that this season, where I think we're not going to see both guys have big games the same weeks a lot of the time, just because there's not big passing volume in Seattle. But I think um, most weeks you're going to get, you know, pretty high-end production out of at least one of those guys. Yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt to bet on a Russell Wilson wide receiver. Yep. Who else do you have at overvalued? 
Uh, Stephon Diggs at wide receiver 23. That's close to 10 spots higher than he sits in our rankings. So I, I haven't come close to drafting Stephon Diggs. I have volume and efficiency concerns with Diggs. You know, the, the Bills ranked 26th in pass rate, 25th in pass attempts last season. Maybe those those bump up a little bit with Diggs in the fold now, but yeah, it's, it's still going to be a run-leaning offense. And you have John Brown, Cole Beasley, both back. You know, Dawson Knox maybe does a bit more in his second season. Uh, Devin Singletary is going to, you know, get his fair share of targets. So I think I think Diggs is going to struggle for high, for high end volume. And I think his efficiency is also going to take a, a pretty big hit moving from Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen. You just compare those two guys last year. Kirk Cousins completed 69 percent of his passes. Josh Allen, 59 percent of his passes. Kirk Cousins averaged 8.1 yards per attempt. Josh Allen, 6.7 yards per attempt. Definite quarterback downgrade. And then that's not even factoring in just the fact that it, it is a new quarterback for Stephon Diggs. There's no, you know, established chemistry there, new offense he has to learn. You know, we we've seen wide receivers changing teams. They tend to disappoint. Um so Diggs just a guy I'm I'm staying away from at that price. Yeah, Diggs is a no thanks for me this year. I mean, the the Twitter argument for him is like John Brown finished wide receiver 20 last year with Josh Allen. Stephon Diggs is better than John Brown. Why can't he finish better than wide receiver 20? Uh, because John Brown is still there for one thing. Cole Beasley is still there. There are only so many targets to go around and Josh Allen's still not that good a passer. So Stefan Diggs, I think wide receiver 23 is much closer to his ceiling than an appropriate price. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, if, if Brown wasn't there, if Diggs was just taking over for Brown, yeah, he'd, he'd be fine at wide receiver 23, but John Brown was good last year. He has that rapport with Josh Allen. So he's, he's not going away. Got anybody else? Uh, that's it at wide receiver undervalued tight end. I'm going to start with Jack Doyle for floor at tight end 18. His worst season last year since becoming a starter, he finished 15th in PPR, 18th in PPR points per game among tight ends since the start of 2016. If you take out last year, he climbs to 14th in that category. Eric Ebron's gone. Trey Burton is in Eric Ebron's place. I'm not worried about Trey Burton. And again, Philip Rivers is a passing upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. So, you know, unless... Jack Doyle gets hurt. I don't see how he doesn't pay off at a tight end 18 price. Yep. I'm fine with Jack Doyle at tight end 18. Um, I, I'd rather take Blake Jarwin, who's going at tight end 19. Uh, we you talked about him a lot on that projections release podcast. You know, the, the Cowboys could have just given Blake Jarwin an original round restricted for agent tender and kept him in the mix, but they instead gave him a four year, $22 million contract. I think that shows that they like the guy and, you know, they, they show because Jarwin has been good over the past two seasons when he's been given an opportunity, 8.7 yards per target over that span. That's 11th best among 54 wide receivers with or tight ends with 50 plus targets over the past two seasons. I mean, the opportunity is obviously there with Jason Witten gone. Witten saw 83 targets last season. And um, yeah, CD Lamb's added to the mix. So we might see a bit more action go to the wide receivers. But, I, you know, there, there's plenty of room for, for Jarwin to see 75 plus targets. And this is just this is just a passing game I want a piece of. You know, we talked about how good Dak Prescott was last season. Jarwin's a pretty cheap piece of this passing game. I, I think he has upside well into the top 12 tight ends and he's going 19th in fantasy drafts. Yeah, we talked about waiting and taking several quarterbacks. I think Jack Doyle and Blake Jarwin being available this late. The combo of these guys here is the biggest reason I have trouble jumping on the early tight ends that I like, because I know I can wait and possibly get two guys that I think can finish top 12. You know, the combo of them can certainly give me scoring uh, that rivals anybody that I'm going to get early in the draft. So I can wait in this range. I can take Doyle for the floor. I can take Jarwin for the ceiling. You mentioned Jason Witten's targets. Blake Jarwin had 41 targets. So last year they combined for 124 targets in an offense that threw the ball on less than 60% of its snaps. So yeah, I know CD Lamb's there. I know that there are plenty of other guys around, but there is plenty of room for Blake Jarwin to finish top 12 at this position, even with all those guys in targets. I mean, Jason Witten at 83 last year finished 10th among tight ends. So we don't need 100 plus targets for volume to be a positive for a tight end. Yeah, I think that late round tight end strategy is definitely a way to go in best ball. I think in lineup setting drafts, once we get into those, um, it makes more sense to, you know, maybe spend a, a sixth, seventh round pick on, you know, one of those, you know, second, third tier tight ends, like an Evan Ingram, a Tyler Higby, um, because it is tough to know when to, to, to start those 
you know, lower end tight ends on a week to week basis. Um, but in, in best ball, if you get someone like Jack Doyle and Blake Jarwin, I, I think um, that combo can definitely match the production of, of a guy like Evan Ingram or Tyler Higby that you need to spend a sixth round pick on. I think there's upside for both of these guys to turn into regular performers too, and, and still be fine week to week starters for you. But yeah, I mean, certainly it's easier to wait and invest in those guys in this format. Do you have anybody else undervalued at tight end? Yeah, uh, Noah Fant, who is he? He's at tight end fourteen, going the late tenth round. That I I swear that's later than he was going about a month ago. I thought he was you know even inside the top ten tight ends a month ago, but at tight end fourteen, tenth round, I, I think Fant has the potential to be you know th- this year's breakout tight end. Um, you know he obviously looked like a high end prospect coming out of Iowa first round pick. He had two productive college seasons. He was a 98th percentile spark guy. Then he catches 40 balls for 562 yards and three touchdowns as a rookie, which is a really impressive season from a rookie tight end. It was actually the 11th most PPR points scored by a rookie tight end over the past two seasons. So good looking prospect, strong rookie season. I would not be surprised at all if Fant really breaks out in his second year. Noah Fant is my Nick Chubb at tight end. I don't really like, I don't trust Drew Locke. I think there's a chance that he busts at this point. And there are lots of other competitors for touches in an offense that I don't think is going to be especially pass heavy. But Noah Fant is just such a a talent and plays at this position where you can be a top 12 contributor with 75 targets even that I don't want to be out on him. So I, I had him projected lower than we collectively have him on draft sharks, but he's not one that I feel comfortable arguing down from where he is. Cause I, you know, I think there's a chance that if things break right in Denver, yeah. he has high touchdown upside, even on lower volume. Yeah. And there's obviously more target competition now after the Broncos added Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, but I, I think fan is a type of talent and he got the draft capital invested in him that I, I don't, I don't think those guys are, I, I, you know, I think guys like Judy and Hamler are going to have to take the volume from fan. I don't think it's just going to, you know, disappear for a fan. I, I think he's a pretty good bet to, you know, remain a, a big part of this passing game. And again, now that he's tight on 14, I, I, I think he was like tight on nine or 10 about a month mm. ago. And I think, you know, that that's closer to where he should be at tight end 14. I think there's a lot of room for profit there. Mm-hmm. On the overvalued side, I have to start with Austin Hooper. Although my favorite guy to argue against is coming up next, but Austin <laughs> Hooper was totally a volume producer in Atlanta. He's, he's a fine athlete and was a third round pick. So I, you know, he's not some schlub, but ten and a half yards per catch for his career, seven and a half percent touchdown rate didn't really get a whole lot in the end zone or red zone until Dirk Cutter came back last year Atlanta fifth in pass attempts in 2018 first in the league in that category last year so he's leaving this highest of volume passing offenses going to Cleveland which does not look like it's going to be anywhere close to that level in volume and the Browns have options they have Odell Beckham they have Jarvis Landry they have the two running backs that Kevin Stefanski has already stated his affection for I am absolutely nowhere close to taking Austin Hooper at his tight end 10 price. And I would rather take Hayden Hurst straight up and draft. Yeah, it sounds like we're on the exact same page here at tight end. I think with with both of these guys, I have Austin Hooper as my first overvalued tight end for all the reasons you mentioned. I just think the volume is going to take a hit in Cleveland. You know, he's another guy we talked about with Stefan Diggs at tight end joining a new offense. There's, you know, going to be a transition period there. Now, Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, um, you know, he, he obviously was in Minnesota last year. And it, it's a pretty tight end centric offense. And, you know, he does run a lot of two tight end sets, which you could you know, say is good news for Austin Hooper. It also means David Njoku is going to be on the field quite a bit, I think. And, you know, Hooper's going to be the lead tight end here. But I wouldn't be surprised if David Njoku, you know, steals more targets from Austin Hooper than, than most people are expecting right now. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that it'll be as close as Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith last year, but, mm-hmm. you know, that suggests that we shouldn't expect it to be totally one guy. And yeah. I, I don't think we should overrate the contract for Austin Hooper. I think it's just a matter of that was his market rate. And if you just ask me, you know, straight up, who's more talented, Austin Hooper or David Njoku? I, I'm still going Njoku. I know I know Hooper's done it as a pro, and that, that matters, and, and the contract he got definitely matters. But strictly based on talent, I, I, I still I would, would take David Njoku. All right, since I got to start with Austin Hooper, who's your next overvalued guy? I mean, I should I should probably give you this guy because you've been hating on him for what three years now. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Mike Kosicki. I mean, he's I don't hate him nearly as much as you, but at, at tight end twelve, I, I don't want anything to do with him. Um, he you know he did have a productive second season last year, fifty one catches, 
570 yards, two touchdowns. He wasn't, he wasn't that good though. If you look at the efficiency stuff. So among 35 tight ends with 40 plus targets last season, Kosicki ranked 29th in yards per target, 28th in yards per route run, 27th in PFFs receiving grade. So he wasn't that good. He just sort of benefited from volume. Volume would be the one argument in his favor you could make because Miami really has Devontae Parker and nothing else proven at wide receiver. I mean, Preston Williams had a good first half of his rookie season, but he's coming off the torn ACL now. So it'll be a situation to watch to see what role Mike Kosicki is going to play in Chan Gailey's offense because Gailey does not utilize the tight end in his offense. Four of Gailey's last five offenses have targeted the tight ends on less than 10% of their pastimes. That that's an insanely low number. The, the league wide average for tight end target share is around 21%. You know, if you get anything below 15%, that that's like crazy low. And Gailey's been below 10% in four of his last five NFL seasons. Now, you, you know, Gasecki might end up being just more of like a big slot receiver in this offense. And if that's the case, you could see him, you know, finishing second on the team in target. So that, that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on once training camps open and once we get preseason action. Oh, I was with you till you mentioned that <laughs> I had to finish second in targets thing. All right. So let's try to make sure I got to try to keep this straight and hit all the areas. I'm like, just sucky. Okay. So let's start with volume. His playing time last year climbed once after Kenny Drake left and the team suddenly had no running game anymore. It jumped further after Jakeem Grant went down. And that's not a name that you would think of as an impact here, but it freed up more wide receiver type snaps. When uh, Preston Williams was on the field, Jasucki had a 10.9% target share. After Preston Williams went down, 17.5%. So we saw a big volume jump there. You already mentioned he's really not that good. That dates back to college. I mean, I watched the tape on him. I did the Dynasty Prospect profile. I, I just tweeted it out last night. As a reminder, I didn't like him then. I didn't hate him until he was drafted in round two and started getting talked up. But the guy is somebody that if you look at the measurables, you fall for because he's tall and he's fast and he's athletic. But if you watch him, it just doesn't translate into his play on the field. Last year, Jasucki was 55th among tight ends in yards per route run, according to PFF. Among the 44, if you just you know filter it down, to just the guys who saw 26 or more targets, he was still thir- tied for 32nd out of 44. He was 55th at the possession in receiving grade. Among the 54 tight ends who saw at least 20 targets, he ranked 39th in yards per target. He ranked 7th at the position in targets, but just 12th in PPR points, 15th in points per game. He tied for just 11th in games of 4-plus catches, 13th in games of 40-plus yards. You mentioned Chan Gailey's offense as being terrible for tight end target share. So the popular argument for Jasucki has been that he's not a tight end. He's a slot receiver. Okay, that's true. But so is like everybody else in the Miami roster. Jakeem Grant is a slot receiver. Albert Wilson is a slot receiver. Alan Hearns is a slot receiver. Even Devontae Parker had a four game stretch last year where he split evenly between the slot and out wide. So you know, we'll see what Chan Gailey thinks of him. It's a new offensive coordinator. We don't know how he's going to classify him and where he's going to use him yet. But there's also nothing from Jasucki's past now to suggest that he's going to force this new OC to find a role for him. He's a terrible blocker, so that's not going to help him get snaps at the position. There is still Durham Smythe there, who's a better blocker. That could help him in the new OC system. If this guy were going at tight end 18, I'd say fine take a yeah. shot on him. and 12 is ludicrous and people are going to be kicking themselves for having drafted him and leaving guys like Blake Jarwin on the board. Yeah. The, the price is definitely my big issue with him. Again, Gailey runs a, a very wide receiver centric offense. So Kaseki's path to a tight end one season is to just be a, a big slot in this offense. I mean, you, you mentioned those guys, Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, you know, th- those are, are not guys that are going to, you know, demand targets. So I, I do think there's a chance that Gasicki is at least the third option in this passing game behind Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. Although I I, I still think to pay off at tight end 12, he's going to have to, you know, finish second on this team in targets, which I, I'm not betting on, but I, I do at least see a path toward that happening. 
I think Albert Wilson is a better player than Mike Jasucki. I think there's a chance that Alan Hearns and Jakeem Grant both provide more upside. I mean, they've been successful players. Jakeem Grant's a, a speed guy. He's not going to be a high volume target, but he's got he's got the kind of different game that you might want to get on the field. Not saying he's going to play more than Jasucki, but you know he's going to cut into the snaps. I I don't I don't see it. I don't see any path where he makes sense as a fantasy pick. I actually have him pro- projected for twenty first in PPR scoring among tight ends, one spot behind Jace Sternberger. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's close to where we have him on the site. Um, man, I, I hope uh, Jasaki doesn't listen to this podcast or else you're you're in trouble. I hope he does, and then I hope he comes down and tries to block me because I'll be able <laughs> to get the quarterback pretty easily. Nice. <laughs> you got anybody else in the position? Uh, no, that was it. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our full rankings and to practice drafting with our mock draft trainer. You can try out all these different drafting strategies without having to put money on the line for every team. See what you like when it comes out. We will be back here soon to recap the DS Invitational Dynasty Startup Draft, which we just completed on MyFFPC.com, so look out for that. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U. For Jared Small and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 